Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show, Chris Graham. We're going to talk some UVA basketball. I had promised to do a podcast yesterday, but uh, the day got away from me. And uh, today, Thursday, as I'm recording, we're going to talk about the uh, UVA-UNC matchup. And then I'll go into a couple of columns that I wrote in the last couple of days, you know, when there's a lot of days in between games. And we have another one of those coming up. I think it's after... After the Duke game, the Duke game is a Saturday game, and then Virginia gets one more midweek break, and we don't play again until the next Saturday, the the uh, season finale, regular season finale, home finale with Georgia Tech. So uh, in these weeks, I get to be creative, and it's a lot of fun. Um, diving into numbers and that kind of thing. Uh, but first, uh, let's talk about North Carolina. Um, okay, so uh, North Carolina, when you if, if you're just studying the North Carolina side of this, Carolina's three and three in its last six, and uh, two of those losses on the road. Their other game on the road was the win at Miami by three points, and Miami's reeling right now, five straight losses. And so this Carolina team is is as vulnerable as they're going to be. They were nine and zero to start the ACC season, uh, twelve and three now, but three and three in their last six. Only problem is Virginia's also pretty vulnerable right now. Uh, this game is Saturday at four o'clock. Uh, Virginia, of course, as we know, if you're watching this podcast, you know already, two losses in the last three, uh, beaten defensively by Pitt, 74 points in JPJ, first time a uh, ACC opponent had over 70 points in about a million years. Um, the 49-47 win in between those two, the, the two losses, the, the other one to Virginia Tech, the 49-47 win over Wake Forest was just atrocious to have to watch. It was a win, and it was fun. Um, and, and then the 74, what was it? 74, 75, 41 loss. I'm, I've, I'm, <laughs> I guess I've put that out of the mind there, uh, to Virginia Tech on Monday. So <clears throat> this North Carolina team, this year's North Carolina team, uh, has, is a bad matchup for Virginia. Let's just put it that way. I know Virginia won, uh, and, and, and ended Carolina season last year. Surprisingly, Carolina didn't even play in the NIT. Surrendered an opportunity to play in the postseason after not making the NCAA tournament, and so the loss of the Virginia in the ACC tournament was it for North Carolina last year. Uh, and that was, I mean, that that Carolina team was a good matchup for Virginia. This is not a good matchup for Virginia. This Carolina team can score in the post. Virginia can't defend the post very well. Um, this Carolina team can shoot from the perimeter. The way Virginia is going to have to defend the post. Uh, is likely going to be with a lot of post doubles. And this team has not been very good at post doubles. Uh, and uh, and then don't be fooled by the 71.4 points per game that this Carolina team gives up. That's tempo. When you look at Carolina uh, from a defensive efficiency perspective, the Heels are ranked 10th in Ken Palm. Virginia's 9th. These are two very good defensive teams. Carolina's just as good. Uh, and so... This game's going to be played at a Tony Bennett pace. Uh, and previous North Carolina teams that have not done well against Tony's Virginia teams have have lost those games because they can't play the, the Tony pace and play it as well as Tony can. And that's one thing you have to like about Tony. There's a lot not to, that you don't like. I, I know that. I get the emails. Um, if there's one thing you have to like, though, is that if Tony loses, he loses because the other team beats him playing his game. He doesn't lose playing an up, up and down the floor game, which is not his style of play. He His teams control the pace. This Carolina team can can play with Virginia at this pace. 
Um, so let's look at the uh, the Carolina rotation. Um, it's a tight rotation. He'll play seven or eight guys. Uh, it's just there are nine or ten guys that can be those seven or eight given on the night in the matchup. Uh, but he will. He he doesn't use his bench very much. Three starters average over thirty minutes a game. A fourth averages a tick under thirty minutes a game. Uh, the leading scorer uh, and this backcourt is pretty small. Um, R.J. Davis. He's a shooting guard at six feet tall. Twenty one point three points a game though, and shoots forty one percent from three. Uh, volume shooter, sixteen point four shots a game, and uh, he doesn't leave the floor much. Plays just under thirty five minutes a game. The other. Um, the other pure backcourt guy is 6'1 freshman point guard Elliot Cadu, Cadeau, excuse me, 7.8 points a game, four assists a game. Uh, doesn't shoot well from three, 20.6%. So you don't have to worry about him very much out there. Uh, Cormac Ryan, I want to call him a guard as well. <laughs> excuse me for the cough. Ryan's name is familiar because he's the Notre Dame transfer. Averages 10.8 per game. Uh, his shooting numbers are disappointing 36.5% from the field, 31.7% from three. Um, and the bench, uh, the the top bench guy uh, as a guard is Seth Trimble, 6'3", sophomore. 5.3 points a game, pretty good shooting numbers. 44.9% from the field, 42.9% from three. Um, the guards are good, uh, and Davis is obviously 21.3 points a game. I think that it's got to lead to ECC. Uh, but the the post is where this team is, sh- is strong. Uh, Armando Baycott uh, has been around forever. I joked in my... Preview column on the website. He didn't actually play for Dean Smith, but it just feels that way. Um, he is averaging a double-double this season because he that's what he does. 14.6 points per game this year, 10.3 rebounds per game. He's actually taking less shots than he had in the past, um, deferring to R.J. Davis. But he's he, when, when needed, he's been able to put points up uh, on the board. Um, the other starter in the front court, <coughs> excuse me again, <coughs> Uh, is uh, Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer, and his game will remind you of someone else that just recently tore up Virginia, Blake Henson, the uh, the pit stretch for this Harrison Ingram guy, 6'7", he's 235. So guys like that years years ago, and not even many years ago, would have been guys that would have uh, beaten you in the post. They would have, I mean, kind of like Jaden Gardner from Virginia last year, the last couple of years, uh, led the team in scoring two years ago, was second on the team in scoring last year uh, as a, a big who could hit the mid-range shot and also was was pretty strong in the post. This Ingram grab punches it in from three. 40.7% from the three-point line uh, and with 12.5 points a game. A very similar game again to Henson. Uh, bounce for a big guy. Um, the bench guys in the post are big. Uh, 6'10", sophomore Jalen Washington, 4.4 points a game in 8.6 minutes per game. That Washington kid, you might remember, Armando Baycott in the game in Charlottesville last year. It was early January. Uh, got hurt before the first TV timeout, as I, I you know, somewhere 17 minute mark or so, and did not come back. Uh, tweaked an ankle, was not able to come back. The Washington kid came in and played pretty well. Uh, had a big first half, and it took uh, some Virginia defensive strategy at halftime to kind of take him out of the game in the second half. But that kid can put points on the board, as I recall. Uh, and then um, a six nine transfer from Louisville, Jalen Withers, doesn't get a lot of playing time, but again, he's another big guy, big body. If uh, things, if, you know, guys get in foul trouble, somebody gets hurt, they've got they've got depth in the front court. So how does Virginia match up? Uh, well, Jordan Miner will get to start. It's just how much will he play? Uh, Miner is the reason this season turned around. He only averages four points a game. So I'm not, <laughs> you know, it sound, might sound weird to say a guy averaging four points a game turned the season around, but it was when he was put in a starting lineup 
that uh, after the first game, you, the Virginia lost to Wake Forest down in Winston-Salem, eight-game winning streak was a lot of Jordan Minor uh, and his ability to play defense uh, and not need post doubles to be able to play post guys. Uh, and uh, he scored enough. He had three double-digit games early. Uh, the scoring went down as as his stretch run went down. And of late, his minutes have gone back down. He's averaging just 13 minutes a game in the last four. Um, he had just eight minutes uh, in the loss against Pitt. He had 13 in the loss the other night to Virginia Tech. Um, if you ask me, that's why in both those games, the the post guys went off uh, in terms of their offense and the rebounding was a big key. You know, as much as the three-point shooting was a big part of that pit loss, for example, 14 made threes, 11 offensive rebounds leading to 13 second-chance points, also a factor in that loss. And then uh, in the loss at Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech made 16 layups or dunks out of their 27 total makes. Uh, that was point-blank shots, and that was a lot of – Guys getting around uh, the guys who were in the game for minor. Uh, if you know, we, we just say it bluntly like that, right? Um, you know what you fear out of this game. Tony uh, does this, and he's done it since Mike Scott days, so it's not anything new. But if his big gets a foul he, in the first half, he takes him out and puts him on the bench for a while. It's just what he does. So uh, an early foul to Jordan Minor is going to mean Blake Buchanan getting in the game, and Buchanan will not be able to physically uh, keep up with with uh, Armando Baycott. And if he ends up getting a couple of fouls, I think we saw this in the game at Louisville. Uh, Minor ended up with a couple of fouls. Buchanan ended up with a couple of fouls. They ended up having to go to Jake Rose back in the post. He was in the center spot for first couple of months of the season, didn't play well defensively in that position. Um. You know, it's if if Minor gets an early foul, this game unravels. Let's just say it that way, and it's because of the way Tony Bennett coaches it. It's just that's just I'm not criticizing. It's just I'm telling you, I'm not criticizing. I'm just telling you, uh, an early foul to Jordan Minor is going to throw everything off uh, because Buchanan won't be able to guard Baycott one on one, and that'll mean Ryan Dunn will have to come over and post double. Uh, it'll it'll force that'll that'll force the ball out of, of Baycott's hands, but. Carolina can hit the threes that'll be open as a result of that. Um, so I'm not looking forward to Jordan Minor getting his first foul in this game. God forbid. Let's just somehow, if if you got whatever powers you got, if you got wishes left over from your birthday, let's all collectively use them. No fouls on Jordan Minor in the first half. Let's give us a chance here. Um, the other big spot is Ryan Dunn. Uh, the six eight sophomore uh, defensive player of the year candidate, but he's been getting eaten up on the defensive end lately. Uh, you know, for all that ballyhoo, um, one website I subscribe to, Synergy Sports, gives you the uh, among the many cool things they give you access to numbers wise. You can look and see what a guy gives up defensively in terms of points and shots and attempts from the field, all this stuff. In the last four games, uh, Ryan Dunn. Now over the season, let's just give you the season number for context. Over the course of the entire season, he's averaging giving up 4.5 points a game, 29.9% shooting. Great numbers. 4.5 points per game, 29.9%. Last four games, nine points a game. So double what he's giving up on the season. And opponents, his, his guys he's guarding are shooting 52%, 11 of 21 in the last four games. Um, that's not quite double, but it, it's as close as you can get. Um and he'll be guarding uh, this uh, Ingram kid, the uh, the guy who can shoot the threes. And so, uh, challenge is out there for for our guy Ryan Dunn. Uh, 
I like Reese Beekman defensively on Davis. Uh, you know, no one, I mean, Beekman is the real deal defensively and he, he consistently is the guy. Uh, I've got him, uh, his opponents in the last four games. I, I did the same numbers that I did for Dunn. Uh, Beekman's given up seven points a game, which he gives up 5.7 a game on the season. He guards the point guards. Point guards have the ball in their hands more. Um, and uh, they use the ball more as a result, everything else. Uh, I think his season number is 34.3% shooting. He's holding guys to 13 of 38 in the last four games, which is under 33%. Consistently good, good consistently good defensive guy. Um, and it's not like he's going to stop Davis. Davis is going to keep shooting the ball no matter what. Um, he'll and he'll make some baskets because he keeps shooting the ball no matter what. But just make it harder, and he will. Beekman will make it harder on Davis to make shots, force some turnovers. You know that'll that'll be part of uh, what Beekman does. As much as I just laid out really significant issues on the defensive end, it's the biggest issue is going to be on the offensive end, and it's been this way all season. But you know, in the Yankee winning streak, Virginia was actually playing pretty good offense. But of late, the only guys meriting any attention are Beekman and Isaac McNeely. Uh, the other three spots have just been ghosts on offense. Andrew Rohde, I pointed this out. Uh, I just it's in a couple of columns this week, but it'll be worth pointing out. Obviously, here on the on the pod, um, in his last eleven games, he's averaging two point eight points a game, shooting twenty two percent, twenty two point two percent overall, and twenty seven point six percent from three. I mean, that's that's a guard. I mean, he's a, he was a guy who averaged seventeen points a game last year. He's averaging two point eight in his last eleven. Um, you get up to the front court, then the two centers, Minor and uh, Buchanan, both guys who've scored in double digits. Uh, Buchanan once this season. Minor, I've got him. I think in my head, it's I'm saying, I'm saying twice, uh, maybe three times, I, two or three times. They've got the ability to put double digits up, but in their last three games, averaging six point three combined points per game on thirty three point three percent shooting. And these are guys, I you know, Buchanan thinks he can shoot a mid range jumper. He can't, but he thinks he he. He can. He just hasn't been able to do so in games. Uh, eventually, that'll translate, but he's not making them. And um, as, you know, most of their shots are right around the rim. They're still shooting 33.3%, 8 of 24 in the last three games. So, Rody's not doing much. The centers aren't doing much. Let's go to Dunn. His last seven games, he scored a total of 30 points. This is a kid who's going to be a first-round pick in the NBA draft if he comes out this year. He's averaging 4.3 points per game over a seven-game stretch. He's just two of nine at the line in that stretch. Couple air balls. I mean, you know, 0 of 2 from 3, those were both air balls. 4.3 points per game from a guy who's giving up nine on defense in that same stretch, nine, nine, nine per game and 52% shooting. Um, and then Jake Groves, who had that great stretch, a four game stretch from January 31st to February 10th, where he averaged 14.3 points, was 13 of 18 from three. His last three games, that was a four game stretch now. The last three games, he's averaging three points per game. Three of nine shooting, so he's shooting the ball three times a game. Uh, in the previous four games, he'd averaged nine shot attempts per game, and he just won a five from three. Um, you know, for Virginia to win this game, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a – so I, I told you to use all your wishes. <laughs> Let's pile them up and use them all on defense so we can keep Joe, Jordan Minor out of foul trouble. You could probably need a couple of guys of those – what would that be? Four, I mentioned five. I mentioned there: Rody, Minor, Buchanan, Dunn, and Groves. Five guys. You're gonna need two of those guys to step up and score points and help out Beekman and and McNeely. Um, you know, one if one really goes off, and if both then Beekman and McNeely go off, but likely you're gonna need some more weapons, and, and not just for this game. Rest of the season. I mean, it's just just what it is. This is the tough part right now. So, I mean, you can tell from my analysis there. I'm I'm not I'm not 
I'm not very confident going into this game just because the matchup's not very good. And, and, and I just, you know, th this is a team that Virginia shouldn't match up. And I thought Virginia matched up pretty well with Virginia Tech. And that's that's what scares me. Uh, Virginia Tech wasn't playing good defense going into that game. They didn't get good games out of their their guards, their, their two best players at guard who score, you know, th th their two leading scorers, Sean Padula and Hunter, Hunter Couture, and still beat Virginia by 34 points. So um, this is a challenge, no doubt about it. Um uh, uh, you know, let me go into a column here that I wrote today. So I wrote the preview today, a couple of columns this week that are worth mentioning. I'll try to go through them quickly. Um, Virginia is soft. Uh, in fact, I should go into that Virginia is soft column first, uh, because that sets up the one I wrote today. Um, the soft comment actually was made by the two guys who were made available to the media after the Virginia Tech game, both Isaac McNeely and Dante Harris, independent of each other, talked about how they thought their team themselves and then their teammates played that game soft. They used the word soft. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And I, I did some math. I mean, you know, this, this was, I, I wasn't at the game. I wasn't at the post game. So when I'm writing my observations column, I'm doing that as all that's going on. Um, and we ended up in the same place, me and then the two players, McNeely and Harris, and then uh, coach Bennett addressed a similar issue in his post game. Um, all I did different was I gave, I gave some stats to, to kind of illustrate the points. The first one was, uh, in Virginia's 20 wins, obviously this is a team that's 20 and seven. Um, the seven losses have all been by double digits and was really, I mean, the average margin of defeats 21.3. And when you look at the numbers, I think I went over this on Tuesday in the podcast, you know, the, the, when a team got up big, they stayed up big, um, and, you know, so a quote from Tony Bennett that I one of the quotes I use in the column, I'll try to read this word for word quote. They thoroughly outplayed us. And that's, you know, that's a tough way to go down. But, you know, when you look at it and you say, look, we were on a fine line. And if we're not right, separation can occur. That's happened to us this year a few times. You'd hope at this stage it wouldn't, but it did. And that's he's talking specifically about the Virginia Tech game, but he could be talking about any game uh, the, that Virginia lost this season, those seven losses. Um, what, when I went back and I went back to the, the play by plays for each of those seven losses, this took some time, as you can guess, um, the first two actually, uh, showed Virginia making a comeback from being down big early, but then running out of steam and then not making a second comeback. And that's the problem early in the season seemed like getting into too big, too big of a hole. And then, you know, I mean, you, it's just like anything else when you, when you're in a hole, I mean, physically, and if you're physically in a big hole and you dig yourself almost to the top and you run out of energy, you're going to fall back down in a hole. And that's what happens to this Virginia team. Uh, the Wisconsin game, Virginia was uh, uh, down 11 midway through the first half. It was a 10 point game at halftime, actually got back to a five point deficit, uh, had a little bit of a run in the second half. And then just like that, uh, the Badgers put it on ice, had an 11 0 run. Virginia went scoreless for a few possessions and that game was over. Um, Memphis, similarly, a 13-1 lead at the start of the game. First four minutes, 13-1. Virginia actually got it back to within one uh, late in the first half, and it was still a five-point game with 15-30 to go, but then Memphis went on a big run, and the game was over. Um, the the other big losses, Notre Dame was up 13-0 in the first four minutes. I mean, here we go. Uh, Virginia never got closer than eight, so never made it a game after that 13-0 deficit. Never got closer than eight. Um, 
Virginia actually led NC State in what turned into a 16-point loss, and that was under the the under-eight timeout. And then NC State went on a 20-9 run to close that half out, um, got a big run in the second half, and and, and took that one over. Wake, the in the game down in Winston-Salem, led 12-4, to four, eight minutes into the game. Virginia came back, tied it. Um, it was a six-point game in favor of Wake at the break. The Demon Deacons scored the first seven points in the second half. That game was over. And then Virginia Tech, it was it was uh, a 16-14 lead for Tech at around the 10-minute mark of the first half. Virginia didn't score for almost nine minutes. Tech won on a 20-0 run. Game was over. Um, you know, didn't play with heart. That uh, Didn't play with a lot of hearts, what Dante Harris said. Uh, let's see. Uh, I thought we were pretty soft on both ends, McNeely said. We didn't make them earn on defense. And then offensively, we weren't screening. We weren't cutting well. A lot went wrong tonight. Um, there were, there are, there were two games that didn't go by the script. So I mentioned that, uh, Wisconsin game, Virginia briefly got back into it. Uh, Memphis game, Virginia got back within one, ran out of steam. Uh, the Northeastern game. Now this Northeastern team, not a good team, five and nine in the CAA, 10 and 17 overall. But if you remember that Northeastern game, it was the, I mean, so Wisconsin was back around Thanksgiving before Thanksgiving. Northeastern was before Christmas, after the Christmas break. And this not very good CAA team, Northeastern, led what, 16 to 4, eight minutes into the game. Uh, it was 37 24. Uh, Tony Bennett had to call timeout two minutes into the second half. Virginia didn't take its first lead of the game until the 701 mark at uh, Isaac Benili three. And that's saying a lot. That's this uh, not a very good Northeastern team. But hey, forget the fact they're not very good in a sense. Uh, this Virginia team showed it could patiently chip in, chip away, chip away, chip away, and get back into a game. And I remember thinking after that night, hey, okay, this, this is not a very good Northeastern team that that this happened to, but uh, you know, it was practice. You know, like you know, I'm a I'm a distance runner. I'm getting back into training. I maybe want to do I want to do a marathon later this year. It's going to be months away. Um, and, and so I'm not going to run the pace that I hope I run in November at the Richmond marathon every day. In fact, right now I'm still running pretty slow. Um, uh, but you know, there's, there's minor victories along the way. Um, you know, maybe one day you run, my goal is to run eight minutes per mile in 10 months and nine months, I guess away now. Um, today I'm still running in the 1030 area. So what if I run a couple of miles under 10 right now? That's, that's a victory, right? So you don't have to you don't have to be able to beat Duke and Carolina every time you go out there. You just have to beat the other team in the gym. And that night Virginia had just enough to beat Northeastern. And in that case, it was a learning experience. Hey, we can come back from a big deficit against the team. Since then, Virginia's, I mean, there was there's one other incident. There was, so I gotta be Georgia Tech had an eleven point lead on Virginia the first half down in Atlanta. Um, but it didn't last very long, and Virginia took finished that first half on a 20-5 run, led the second half, most of the second half, by double digits. So they came back, and when technically they were down 11, uh, but they quickly turned that one around. So um, the, the Pitt game, Virginia lost that one by 11. Uh, it was a close game up until the last uh, seven, eight minutes. Uh, but that game, I remember, I mean, seeing it just live, there was a, a late in the game, three minute mark or so. Pitt made a little, uh, you know, like a offensive rebound layup or something like that. And the Virginia kids looked like they just the bot the, the air went out of the entire the five guys on the floor just completely had nothing. Um, and after the game, Tony Bennett actually said it looked like his kids quit. And then he he tried to backtrack, but the word came out. The word quit came out. Can't take it back once it's out. 
Um, we kind of saw that in Blacksburg the other night. We kind of saw that there, a uh, similar thing. Um, and so, you know, that then, okay, so soft. The word they use, the, the kids use, Tony used a lot of words around it, soft. Where is Virginia's softest? It's in the post. I went over that when I went in through the, uh, the Virginia Carolina preview. Uh, but the problem early in the season was that Tony Bennett decided that uh, Jordan Miner wasn't ready to start, and he started Jake Groves at the five spot. Now, Groves is a really good stretch four. He's a 6'9 guy who shoots 49.4% from three. You can't ask for anything better from a 6'9 guy. Uh, he he gets open shots, and he makes, he makes half of them, and every one of them coming out of his hand looks like it's going to go in. But he's not a center. He's not. He's 6'9", 211. Um, I'm a marathon runner. I'm 6'1", 203 today. So, um, you know, he's 211. He's eight, he's nine inches, eight inches taller than me and eight pounds heavier than me. Him, him bodying up to, uh, you know, the DJ kid, uh, at NC state, the idea of him bodying up to Baycott on Saturday. No, just not going to happen. And, and it's no offense to him. It's just, it's just reality. You know, you're not, you're asking a really big guard to guard centers and it just doesn't work. But, uh you know, in the loss to uh, the loss to Wisconsin, the loss to Memphis, the near loss to a really bad West Virginia team, the near loss to a really bad Northeastern team, rebounding and defense in the post were the big issues. Um, that got fixed when Miner was put in a lineup, and uh, it's not like he's a savior or anything else. But you know, the kid uh, is he can battle in the post. Uh, he can score when you know when he's in the right position to do so. He can he can finish he can finish plays. Um, and and now so Virginia lost uh, you know several games uh, trying to play without a center. The last three games, I would argue, with minors minutes in decline again, they're trying to play without a center. I mean, I think there's a commonality there. They were eleven and five. They were, uh, let's just be, we'd be fair. Eleven and four before minor went in the starting lineup. Uh, the la I'll argue that the last three games he's been out of the lineup more than he's been in the lineup. So there was an eleven and four stretch, an eight and one stretch in which Miner played a lot. One and two since he's not been playing a lot again. This this is two teams. This is a twelve and six team when Jordan Miner is either a bench player who gets garbage time minutes or just a bench guy who gets a few minutes, and they're eight and one when he plays a lot. Um, and it's not again because Miner is a, a savior or the best player in the history of uh, college basketball but it's because he can play defense and he can keep his guys off the boards. And so um, if he's not going to play a lot, that means Blake Buchanan does. It means Jake Groves does. Uh, you know, I get a lot of emails from folks um, about the guys who transferred out this year. Caden Shedrick, Isaac Trout, Francisco Caffaro. I'll say his name correctly, not the way we said it for, for most of the four and a half years he was here, five years he was here, but for the most part. Shedrick is not doing the job at Texas. Uh, he he had he's had a season pretty much like his last two at Virginia, where in November and December he was really good, and then lost his starting job by mid January. He did that this year at Texas. He's now averaging seven point eight points a game, but his last uh, let's see what is it last eleven games, uh, he's averaging eleven point seven minutes per game, three point nine points and one point six rebounds. Very ineffective, um, you know. And you 
it almost confirms everything we well it confirms everything we wrote last spring after after uh, word emerged that he was thinking about leaving um you know and i want to i don't want to kick a guy on his way out the door or after he's left the building even though he he had a lot of crybaby tears when he left here um and uh you know he's a talented kid who just can't get it all together unfortunately for him trout is barely getting any run at uh, creighton averaging 10.5 minutes a game and he's only gotten double digits in minutes uh twice since january 1st and we're talking it's it's we're almost out of february now so uh trout uh he made a move uh, but it's it's not working out for him there and Caffaro is Caffaro. He went down a level. So at least, you know, Shedrick's at Texas. That's going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, Trout is going to be sitting on the bench for an NCAA tournament team at Creighton. Um, Caffaro is down at Santa Clara, which is in the West Coast Conference. That's Gonzaga's conference. Um, uh, it's not a conference that, you know, has a lot of depth in terms of talent. Uh, and Caffaro is averaging 4.4 points and 4.0 rebounds. That's pretty much what he does. Uh, he did that at Virginia one year. <laughs> That's just what he does. Um, <clears throat> I point all this out to make the water point that, you know, what we lost last year is not necessarily going to, is not what wouldn't have necessarily been any better than what we already have this year. Right. So, I mean, we lost three guys, got two guys in maybe just one more number would have been nice. Um, some deeper issues. Again, I went over this. It's all in the column. I'll link it on the, uh, the website, Facebook page. Let's see where else, uh, the, uh, and I know, uh, the uh, YouTube description, it'll be in the podcast description. You can find it there. A lot of good stuff, I think. Um, but recruiting is one issue for bigs. Uh, you know, I know recruiting in football is a lot different than recruiting in basketball, vice versa. Uh, in football, you like if you're a, a state school, you want to recruit your state well. Virginia has a lot of good football and basketball players. Um, but you know, in basketball, you got 13 scholarships. You just find the best players, and um, if they're in the state, great. If not, you just find them. But there were there have been two really good bigs in Virginia that have gone to good schools that we'd missed out on. Armando Baycott from Richmond would be one. Uh, he got into Carolina. Carolina is not an easy school to get into, so no issues with. Oh, he had to. You know, we couldn't have recruited him. Um, and what's interesting about him, I've said this before, probably, I mean, I've said it a lot privately. I'm not sure if I've ever said it in a podcast, but, you know, he had to have been sold on. Come to Carolina, and if you go to Virginia, you'll just be setting screens and rebounding, and you'll do that for four years, and that won't be any fun. Come here, we'll let you score some points, and of course he's done that. But the uh, the irony of that is uh, guys with his size, which is about 6'10", he's 6'9", or 6'10", He's not the most athletic 6'9 or 6'10. Um, he would have been better served going to Virginia and, and setting screens and playing defense and rebounding for four years. He he might have been an NBA player. He's not going to be one uh, now with what he didn't learn at Carolina. So that's, uh, that's life. Uh, the other guy from in-state is Mark Williams from Virginia Beach. He went to Duke for a couple of years, another school that's hard to get into. So, again, not we didn't get him because we didn't – think we could recruit a guy like that and get him into school. Um, Williams played two years at Duke, didn't do much there, and now he's in the NBA doing something. He's averaging 12.7 a game in Charlotte. Uh, and so just imagine one or both of those guys, and you know, setting our screens and finishing on pocket passes and running that middle screen action where maybe the ball actually does get in the post. 
giving Tony the option to maybe run some post plays. Imagine just one of those guys. We could have had that. Both those guys could have been here. Instead, you know, we got what we got. Um, uh, you know, the Virginia has done well in the past. It's been a while, but we've we've taken guys who weren't necessarily projected pro guys out of high school and made them pros who were bigs. Mike Scott, uh, Mike Scott played a fifth. He, he played a um, excuse me, he played a um, post grad year. Uh, before he came to college, post, guys who played post grad, and then he played five years at Virginia because he had a medical redshirt year. He was 24, 25 years old. He went in the NBA and played for a while. Uh, the but the, you know, guys who play a post grad year of high school aren't on anybody's radar to play in the NBA, and he 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 did for a while. Anthony Gill's another guy. Braxton Key, Monty Diakite, Jay Huff, all these are guys that you know they weren't they weren't pros when they got to Virginia. They were pros when they left Virginia, but it's been a minute. Uh, Jay Huff's the last guy on that list. Uh, he's class of 2021. This is 2024 now. Um, the bigs who followed uh, Jaden Gardner is is uh, you know the only his knock is that he's you know too small to be a big, but he played. He's his game is big. He's a six six two hundred forty six pound guy. At least that's what he's listed in terms of weight. Uh, he had two productive seasons. He led Virginia in scoring one year. He was second in the scoring in his, his second year. Um, double digits both years, and he's averaging 15.5 points a game in Belgium right now. So it's not like he, he's a productive guy. Um, but other than that, we got Shedrick Trout Cafaro who transferred out. There's one other guy that's worth mentioning who transferred out, Igor Milicic. Milicic, a 6'10 guy, played at Virginia for one season, 2021-2022, averaged 6.3 minutes a game. He went to Charlotte. Charlotte is where Ron Sanchez, who's back at Virginia on Tony's staff, was still the head coach when he played there for one year, when, when Milicic played there for one year. Now Milicic in his second year, he's a junior at Charlotte, and he's averaging 13 points, 8.5 rebounds. He's shooting 36% from three. We could use that. <laughs> that one. So everybody's still focused on on Shedrick, especially, but maybe Trout. Milicic is the one who got away. That's the guy who got away. But all right. So um, but you, you know, I think there's a question, a legitimate question needs to be asked about development or lack thereof of our big since Huff. Gardner, you know, Gardner had his limitations. He's a six six, two hundred forty-six pound guy. He he could not. You know, he, he was not very good at, in ACC and Power 5 games around the rim. He had a little 12-foot jumper that was nice. He could make it a lot, but he could not score at the rim because he was too small uh, to to play in the post. Uh, you've got Shedrick, Trout, Cafaro have all left. Milicic left. Um, they didn't develop while they were here. I mean, obviously, if they developed while they were here, they'd still be here. Um and that's why Tony had to go out and find quick fixes. He got Ben Vanderplas last year, uh, one-year rental. This year's one-year rentals are, are minor and groves. And, uh, you know, I'll just say it. We all love Jason Williford, but he's the big man coach on the staff, and the, that position group has not done well the last three years. So where we are, uh, and this will wrap up our podcast, uh, Miner will get to start on Saturday. There's no doubt about that. He's got to. Um, uh, he's the best option Tony's got to body up to Baycott in the post. And again, um, ask your friends to give us their wishes too. <laughs> we need him to stay out of foul trouble. Um, uh, 
because what happens then if he gets foul trouble? You know, the, the Louisville game that I mentioned earlier. I mean, all three of those guys because Groves ended up with two fouls in the first half too. Uh, I'm making this suggestion. Um, Anthony Robinson, six ten guy, came in. It was a late ad uh, in the class of 2023 for Virginia in the recruiting class. Um, you know, he came to my attention because he's, you know, I, I, okay. So at, at JPJ after games, I famously, I say, cause to your, this group, you know, this small group of, of people who watch my podcast, listen to my podcast, um, whatever the level of fame I've got amongst this group is, is what I've got. Um, and, and I say all the time, I, I don't go down post game. I, I let Scott German for AFP go down and, you know, monitor the, the post game interviews and such like that. I sit up on press row uh, and and work on my first couple of columns after the game as waiting for traffic to die down. And what I love about – so usually 10 minutes, 15 minutes after the game's over, uh, some of the guys who are red shirts like Christian Bliss come out. Some guys who don't play – who haven't played much in a game will come out and shoot jumpers. They'll have rebounders with them. They'll shoot jumpers. They'll have managers with them working. And Robinson's been coming out a lot uh, of late, last few weeks. And first time I saw him, uh, wow, that kid's got big. Uh, he came on grounds. He was 6'10", 220, and looked like, uh, you know, his arms looked, you know, he was he was straight down. As, as, you know, no, there were no noticeable biceps or shoulders. He got some, he got some arms now. And uh, what I see is uh, he's, he's listed now at 245. He's put on over 20 pounds. And uh, so, okay, um, there's... Uh, what four regular season games left? Uh, there's at least one ACC tournament, one NCAA tournament. I think this team's going to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't think they're going to lose their last four games. Uh, that that would if, if a one and three or zero and four finish, uh, and then not winning the ACC tournament would be what would disqualify Virginia. I think two and two down the stretch, it'd be nice to win one in Washington in the ACC tournament if you'd go two and two. Uh, but uh, Anyway, I say all that to say there's there's four, five, six, or whatever games left in this season. You know, the kid would be burning. We'd be asking the kid to burn a redshirt year for that game for that few games. Um, but here'd be my sales pitch if I'm Tony or or Jason Williford or whoever making the sales pitch. All right, yeah, you're only getting a few games, but you're getting Duke, you're getting Carolina, you're getting the ACC tournament, you're getting the NCAA tournament. Um, he wouldn't start. He would play eight or ten minutes a game, uh, but. It's needed, you know. Right now, I I don't want to count Jake Groves as my as my third center. I would never put him back if if I could have Robinson to be to give me eight to ten minutes a game at center. Groves would never have to play center again. Uh, that would make the team better. Uh, if all Robinson did was literally just set screens and rebound and and give you three or four fouls, that's that's all you would need from him. If he gave you more than that, great. If he would in, end up pushing either Buchanan uh, or even minor for more minutes better. Uh, and then think about what that could do for his development going into next, you know, into the off season. And then into next season, he would have something tangible to look at um, for his development uh, later on. So anyway, uh, that's my pitch. It, it ain't going to happen, but uh, you know, this, this, this team could use an infusion. That's the only one we got. <laughs> that's the only one we got um, there. So, all right, so Saturday at 4, uh, Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, game is on one of the ESPN family of network channels. I haven't looked it up to see. Uh, I will be quasi-courtside. We'll be up in the 
mid middle middle of the late part of the upper the the lower bowl uh, in one hundred seven. Uh, let's see, game story. The game will end about six. We'll have game story around six thirty, six forty five. More columns thereafter. Scott German will complain about something after the game. I'm sure, <laughs> win or lose, he's going to complain about something. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of covers coming. Uh, in fact, I probably this is Thursday when I'm recording this, and you might be watching it Thursday or Friday. On Friday, I will have at least one more mailbag column. Got a great question from somebody about uh, UVA and the guards and shooting. I will just use those key terms to to to, to tease what that mailbag column will be about. But it might be adventures. It was an interesting question posed to me. Um, I've composed I composed a draft and sent an email back to the guy who asked the question. And um, yeah, there's some research I want to do on the uh, you know what what guys do as shooters at Virginia compared to what they did elsewhere. Um, we'll see how, you know, see what we find there. So anyway, but that will be coming tomorrow. And then Saturday, the game coverage Sunday will be some more game coverage and then we'll get you ready for next week. So having questions for me, more mailbag type items, et cetera, et cetera. Feel free to email me at Chris at AugustaFreePress.com.